never know what to expect at Music Biz 101 and more. You sounded exactly like filth with that. Boy, as uh, Tim was singing earlier, two promos earlier, you never know what to expect. And we're coming in with a sort of a mellow entrance this week. However, it's been an exciting week because Adele has sold how many records as of this 3. week? 3.4 mil. Nope. More than that? Yeah, four point oh, four yeah. plus now. And uh, heading for maybe the biggest record yet without any streaming. So that's remarkable. So that's one thing that's happening this week. The second thing is on Friday night, we have the collage concert. Music department at WPU will bring you probably a smattering of the whole department, faculty and students. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And I'm your co-host, Steve Marconi. I'm not David Kirk Philp, as many of you probably know. Uh, he's on his way. He was um, delayed, I believe. And we're here, we're here, excuse me, with another faculty member, brand new faculty member in the music department, director of the jazz studies program here. And that's the great pianist and historian, Bill Charlotte. Bill, you could say hello. I'm delighted to be here with you. Ah, great. Yes, yes. Big hand for Bill. Great. Okay. Well, as we wait for the noisy guy to get here, why don't uh, we uh, tell a few jokes? No, why don't we go right into September 1, you come aboard, December 2nd. Now, what do you think? It went very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a wonderful program. The faculty is wonderful. The students are wonderful. And uh, I've learned a lot from my students. Mm -hmm. And I've learned about them. I've learned a lot about um, types of journey that we can take together. Uh -huh. And uh, I've seen a lot of my students develop areas of their playing, mm -hmm. which has been very gratifying. Mm -hmm. So it's been great. What's the one thing you could might say that surprised you the most? Um... Well, I don't know that I would say anything surprised me. I was just delighted to see that there were there is great diversity in places that the students come from, both mm -hmm. geographically and uh, in terms of what their interests are and where their talents bring them. Mm-hmm. Great. And you come from a very uh, varied background. Uh, so why don't you mention a little that so we can get everybody up to stream. Okay. Well, my father and my mother are both professional musicians. My mm -hmm. father passed away when I was seven years old, but I remember him very well. Mm -hmm. His name is Moose Charlap, and he's mm -hmm. most famous for most of the songs for the Mary Martin production of Peter Pan, oh. which subsequently became the Sandy Duncan production, and then the Kathy Rigby production. Yes. And then most recently, the Allison Williams exactly. production. Yes. Anyway, uh, he wrote songs like I'm Flying and I Won't Grow Up and I Got a Crow and Tender Shepherd and things like that. And he wrote lots of other musicals, um, many popular songs that were recorded by people like Joe Williams, Sarah Vaughn, uh, 
uh, Astrid Gilberto, Al mm -hmm. Hibbler, Rosemary Clooney, many others. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother is the singer Sandy Stewart, and she was Grammy-nominated in the 60s for what was the first hit song of John Kander and Fred Ebb, who are the writers of Chicago and, oh. of course, Cabaret and lots of special oh, material yeah. for Liza Minnelli and New York, New York, among other things. Yeah. Uh, anyway, my mother had a hit song with my coloring book, mm -hmm. and she was also a regular on the Perry Como show, mm -hmm. on the Mitch Miller show. She was sort of part of her own Rat Pack, which included my mother, Don Adams, Paul Lind, and Kay Ballard, <laughs> who incidentally is my godmother. Wow. Um, she also sang with Benny Goodman for, oh, I think it was maybe about a year's time she traveled with Benny Goodman. Eh. So she's a great singer. She's still a great singer. We still right. perform together, and we've made some albums together uh, on Blue Note mm -hmm. and uh, on some other labels as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you were around music as you were growing up. Yes. Did you have the urge to do something else? No. Never? No. You got the bug very early... I was quite clear that that's what uh, was you. the most central and important thing in my life right. uh, in terms of uh, my development. Yeah, we always career. say that, that music, you don't choose music, music chooses you. I think it's probably true for anything that feels like a calling to somebody. Yeah, yeah. And then no matter what you might do to try to look at all the bad points and avoid it, you still wind up going... Well, I, w I wasn't trying to avoid it in any way, but also I was lucky. I had parents who understood, who were mm -hmm. musicians. Right, and so they exactly. said, oh, well, he's a musician. I have a son, uh, my stepson, who is uh, my wife, Rini Rosnes, mm -hmm. who's one of the world's greatest jazz pianists. Sure. My son is Dylan Drummond, stepson. His um, biological father is Billy Drummond, who's mm -hmm. one of the world's greatest drummers. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's been around me since he's four years old. And he's quite obviously a natural. Yes. But uh, his whole thing is, you know, the world of pop music and rock and roll and mm -hmm. guitar and mm -hmm. Sly and the Family Stone and Michael Jackson and Jimi sure. Hendrix and Jimmy Page and sure. all the all the great ones. And, of course, everything that's going on today that I don't know so well right. about. And he said something to me when he was very young. He said, uh, I said, why do you choose this music, Dylan? He said something wonderful, which was, Dad doesn't know about it, and Mom doesn't know about it, and you don't know about it, <laughs> which I thought was great. It was very honest. This was right. an 11-year-old speaking. Right. He wasn't trying to be dry. He was just uh, right. telling the truth about who he was, and it was very nice. Anyway, so, you can kind of see when somebody has sure. no choice. Yeah, exactly. So I was lucky. I grew up in New York City. My house was surrounded with musicians, songwriters, people like Marilyn and Alan Bergman, the mm -hmm. great lyricists, mm -hmm. Yip Harburg, the great lyricist, Charlie Strauss, who was my father's one of my father's roommates mm -hmm. uh, in college, who wrote Annie, of course, mm -hmm. and um, also uh, the All in the Family theme and Bye Bye Birdie and many other sure. great hits. There were lots of composers and lyricists coming through my home. Also arrangers, um, people like uh, Marion Evans and... Uh, Don Costa, Harper mm. McKay, a theater arranger, yeah. and great musicians also. Yeah. My mother was um, remarried uh, a number of years after uh, my father passed away to a trumpeter who uh, was my stepfather. He's passed away. His mm -hmm. name is George Trifon. Mm -hmm. And George um, played also with lots of bands, uh, including Benny Goodman on mm -hmm. the Merv Griffin Show and 
many recording dates. Mm -hmm. And so uh, people who are friends of George's included uh, Clark Terry and Frank Rossellino and mm. lots of other great musicians. All so right. anyway, there was a climate of music. And of course, uh, growing up in New York City was important also because I went to the high school for the performing arts. Uh -huh. And that was when it was still on 46th Street between right. 6th and Broadway. And going to PA meant going to a New York City public high school mm. where the student body was brought together by talent. So mm -hmm. you had kids from every culture, every race, uh, every socioeconomic background, mm -hmm. and people who played gospel music, people who played classical music, mm -hmm. people who played jazz, dancers, actors, and uh, the children were really on a professional level. And that was remarkable, but it taught you a... You were like a sponge. Well, I was lucky to have that kind of environment. And uh, you learned at PA what Ed Koch used to say about New York, which is, if you're one in a mil if you're if you're one in a million, there's ten of you in New York. <laughs> and that's how it felt there. You know, right. the bar line was right. very high. So, who were you listening to in the late '60s? <laughs> I wasn't listening to anyone in the late '60s. I was four years old. Well, I mean, did you get introduced? <laughs> By your parents. I was listening to Sparky really? and his magic piano with music by Billy May. Yeah. And uh, and actually what he did, uh, that was a, a, a wonderful children's record uh -huh. where uh -huh. he uh, realizes, you know, there's a moralistic lesson that he has to practice. He has a dream that he's the greatest concert pianist of all right. time. But what's really great on that record was... Uh, he played the Rachmaninoff C-sharp minor prelude, which wow. I loved hearing, and the Chopin Revolutionary right. Etude, and lots of other things that uh, piqued my interest in my ear. So did you go to classical piano lessons well, early? Well, yes and no. I, I did have some teachers, but I was already... Everything I did, I was learning to play by ear. Mm. So um, I remember having a recognition that I had something that was unique in that way because one of my teachers was... Uh, great concert pianist and I loved asking him to play the Chopin Revolutionary Etude for me because I uh -huh. liked watching his left hand whip around yeah. and the music was so great but at that time I was uh, already playing everything I was playing by ear and kind mm -hmm. of playing my own music and he asked me he said now after I've played that will you play me that cantina band music that's what he <laughs> called it now he actually was talking about Cantina Band from Star Wars. Ah. You know the scene where they go yes, into, the, into the bar? And yeah. the music that's written by Johnny Williams is great. It goes like this. Anyway, it swings. And it's right. kind of like yeah. faux swing music. And right. it's very, very good, very well wrought. Right. I must have played it okay at that point because my teacher said, well, will you play that for me? And I thought to myself, hmm. I don't have the chops to play that Chopin, but he wants me to play this music. <laughs> and he's serious. He wants to hear it. He likes it. You know, yeah. I said, well, okay, there it is. Wow. Anyway, I was list I was really listening to everything, mostly theater music that mm -hmm. my father was listening to or big bands, uh, Count Basie right. or Sarah Vaughan or things my mom was listening to. Did you get into any rock? Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. Any the classic rock and so sure. on? All the, all the great groups that you would think of. I don't know. I mean, uh, particularly the progressives or, because right. I was a keyboard player, so right, I wanted um, to be Rick Wakeman right, or, or Keith, Keith Emerson. Emerson and so of course. Sure. That, that was very particularly meaningful in all of those right, groups right. because of the level of musicianship. But right. everything else, the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and um, mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. Stevie Wonder, too. Uh, right. Sly and the Family Stone. So this brought you up to going to college? Well, yes, eventually. 
<laughs> and uh, I went to the State University of New York at Purchase mm -hmm. for two years, but to the classical program. Um, you had asked if I studied classical piano. Not really. I was never thinking I was going to be a classical pianist, mm -hmm. and I was never thinking, well, gee, am I... People ask, did you make a decision? When did you decide to go yeah. into jazz? Well, never. Right. I was always playing improvised music of some sort, and mm -hmm. I was always playing things that I learned by ear, mm -hmm. even if it was precocious or even pretentious. Right. I remember my uh, my audition for the high school for the performing arts, and I, I walked in, and at that time, I was absolutely a rock and roll kid. Mm -hmm. Rock and roll t-shirts, long hair. Mm -hmm. I was uh, skinny with blue jeans, mm -hmm. and I walked in with beetle boots, and I said, I'm going to play my adaptation of Ginastera's Piano Concerto, Third Movement. <laughs> Well, gee, that's very nice. What I was playing was Keith Emerson's Toccata. So in any in any event, that's how things worked out in that way. But I went to the high school, uh, excuse me, I went to State University of New York at Purchase. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was valuable because I enjoyed working uh, with uh, chamber music mm -hmm. and, um, you know, playing um, organ music and mm -hmm. also... Uh, um, working with singers, with opera singers, mm -hmm. all that sort of thing. There was also mm -hmm. a gospel choir there mm -hmm. at school I enjoyed playing with. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was really going so I could study and be away from home. And mm -hmm. that's an important thing yeah, for a kid. Yeah, right. Sure, sure. However, I dropped out of uh, performing. Purchase. I'm not purchase. saying that. Uh, SUNY Purchase because it was kind of in the way of my study, mm -hmm. to tell you the truth. <laughs> studying, uh, even studying Bach and Beethoven and Bartok, and even composers that didn't start with a B, um, <laughs> was uh, in the way of studying Art Tatum and Bud Powell and Bill Evans and mm -hmm. Miles Davis. Mm -hmm. I really needed to spend all of my energies there. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky. I had an uncle who was a benefactor to me um, who set me up for a couple of years in New York City. It wasn't uh, palatial or anything. It was a fifth floor walk-up mm -hmm. on um, Dykeman Street, mm -hmm. 200th Street. Mm -hmm. And... I uh, shared the apartment with my brother. It cost me about $100 a month. I rented a piano for $100 a month from Steinway. I built a platform for that piano. I filled it with shredded foam ah. and a carpet. I got a file cabinet. All my records were under the piano. I put shredded foam on the wall. Well, not shredded foam. I went to Canal Foam and Rubber, and I got those egg crates kind hey, of foam, yeah. put it up all over the walls. It wasn't a pretty sight. Right. It was a bed a grand piano that I rented from Steinway, and I built a, a double door. Uh -huh. So now I had my soundproof room, yeah. and I practiced all day, and then I would take the A train, but the wrong way, <laughs> not the way that Ellington talked about. I took it downtown, all right. and I went not to Harlem, but to Bradley's and the mm. Village mm -hmm. to hear Kenny Barron and Tommy Flanagan mm -hmm. and Shirley Horn mm -hmm. and Roger Kellaway and Red Mitchell mm -hmm. and Buster Williams and Charlie sure. Rouse, all the giants. Yeah. And that was my life for a little while. And one day... Uh, I was walking down Columbus Avenue during the Columbus Avenue Street Fair. There was a pianist I had been um, kind of following around town because he was such a great player called Bill Mays. Oh, yeah. Great pianist. Yeah, I know Bill Mays. Who's, yeah, Bill has done uh, much, much commercial work um, and um, film scores, mm -hmm. and he can mm -hmm. read anything, you sure. know. Uh, he's one of those kind of guys. Brilliant jazz player. And uh, Bill who's about 20 years my senior, was playing with Jerry Mulligan, the great mm. baritone saxophonist, arranger, composer. And um, we're walking down the street, and Bill said, hey, you want to come up 
to my apartment. I'm living here on the uh, Upper West Side. I've got a Fender Road set up with my grand piano, and uh, we could play some duets. Mm. So we played some Horace Silver tunes, <laughs> and um, Bill said, you know, I'm thinking of leaving Jerry Mulligan's band, and I'm wondering if you uh, might like to join Jerry's band. Of mm. course, I didn't feel in any way I was ready. I was, right. you know, in my 20s, and and just uh, trying to, to learn to play. Mm-hmm. But Bill seemed to think I was ready, and um, I went up to Mulligan's house in Darien, Connecticut, and played with him, and he seemed to think I was ready. Good. So that was it. It was a couple of years uh, on Dykeman Street. I should say there are many things in between. Of course. Uh, one of my... Um, uh, a distant cousin on my father's side is the great pianist Dick Hyman, mm-hmm. who was very generous with me. He would take me to everything from record dates to film scores to orchestral dates mm-hmm. to uh, working with the Twyla Tharp Dance Company, all kinds of things. Mm. And I watched one of the greatest pros ever, pianist, orchestrator, yeah. and conductor, yeah. right. um, in all these multitudes of professional uh, environments. Yeah. And Dick had also championed me um, at uh, various uh, festivals, uh, mm-hmm. the JVC Festival, the Waterloo Festival in New mm-hmm. Jersey, the 92nd Street Y, mm-hmm. the Jazz in July Festival, which is my festival now, has been for the last 11 yeah. years, but was Dick's festival for right. 20 years. Right. Um, in any event, uh, he was very, very helpful with me and mm-hmm. brought me to... Uh, a great private teacher, also the pianist Jack Riley. So all of these things had happened yeah, already. Yeah, right. I had been playing uh, with people, but Jerry Mulligan was a very important step because mm-hmm. he was such an important and iconic figure. And plus, I was then playing the Nice Jazz Festival and the JVC yeah, Festival sure. in New York City and all over the world and flying all over the place yeah, and staying in right. very nice hotels because Jerry was a big star right. and he was treated very well and he treated us very well. Yeah. So and uh, that you, was very you useful. Were, um when you auditioned yes. here last spring, I was very impressed with your lecture. Mm. And your lecture involved, actually, uh, Stravinsky mm. and Mulligan. Mm-hmm. And you brought out a, a Mulligan arrangement where, in fact, you paralleled it to a couple of uh, bars in, in Petrushka, I believe. Yes, that's right. And where did you get this urge to be a, a, a historian and... and why? Uh, you know, I'm a fan. Uh-huh. I wouldn't quite say I'm a historian. I never. I. I guess. I guess. That day. Here's what <laughs> happens. You find out after a while that oh, I guess I know about this thing. Mm. Well, you know, I always loved hanging out with my friends and talking about music mm-hmm. and uh, learning from them. And you know how it is if you care about something. It doesn't have to be music or whatever it is you care about. I believe that. There's a collective that happens with mm-hmm. one, just one other person. Mm-hmm. Or l- let's m- talk about music. Mm-hmm. Let's say you love Gershwin's Concerto in F. Mm-hmm. And you've loved it, you've experienced it, and then you meet somebody who also loves music, but they haven't heard it. And you get together and you play it for them. And there you are in the same room listening to this music, and all of a sudden you hear it. It's like surround sound. Yeah. It's what I think is the collective. It's something that we don't know. Right. And uh, I think it happens when you perform, Mm -hmm. and I think it happens when we're together. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Not to get too... uh, I think that's how the Beatles got so big. Well, Because we were 
always sharing. You know, What's we'd that? run to a to a friend's house and sell them with a brand new oh, yeah. album. And there's what they call the death of high fidelity in the 90s mm. as it went to earbuds and right. so on. Much of that is right. Totally, every, every, uh, everybody got a, a personal uh, a yeah. personal snack. Everyone had a Swanson dinner. That's right. Instead of uh, going to the restaurant. Yeah, together. Well, that's, how to that's, that's how Napster got big. Yeah, everybody was sharing. I mean, yeah. seriously, that is how yeah, the industry sharing completely in changed that's because right. of of the sharing. But it's a different type of sharing I'm talking about, which is experiencing together at the same time. Yeah, different, mm -hmm. a little different. Yeah. However. It's one yeah, thing. I to, get it. right. It's exciting yeah. when, uh, for instance, my son recently discovered that he actually liked Yes, <laughs> and he wrote to me said, "Wow, they're really good." Mm -hmm. I, knew, I, I knew they were good, but but it's nice, you know. It's, yeah, it's great when various things wake up. By the uh, way, this something. is Music Biz One Hundred and One and more. You listen to Bill Charlap, who is the new uh, director of jazz studies here at William Passing University. And you're listening to also the great Professor David Kirk Philp, who finally showed up. Yes. Thank you so much. My, my subway was late. We, that's right. And he didn't have car fare, and yeah. we're not paying him enough yet. There's a, a million reasons why. Yeah. But welcome aboard. We started in a very mellow way. Who is, uh, but, I don't uh, know who this guest is. But did Bill and I... <laughs> no, I did. But Bill, Bill and I <laughs> book him. I <laughs> should be talking. booked. That's right. Book him and print him. Yeah. So, so how many? Uh, I want to just get a couple more inches here. So, about how many albums have you done under your own name? Oh, um, roughly. Oh, I don't know. It's not that many. About twenty or so. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. like and how about as a sideman? Um, I don't know, 150. Something. Wow. I don't it's know. not that many. Okay. <laughs> You're very modest. I mean, <laughs> so <laughs> we have a uh, another treat, too. Not only collage, not only Adele with four plus million, but we have sitting here, and Bill Charlotte is the half of the latest Tony Bennett album, Tony Bennett with Bill Charlotte, that was number one on the jazz charts for several weeks and now it's dropped just a little but Bill's had the pleasure of uh, he's certainly known in America as one of the people who is an expert with the American Songbook and he's had the pleasure of course of accompanying I'm sure almost everyone but was it a thrill to do this with Tony well Tony's been my great friend for many years mm -hmm. and we have performed together before in fact uh, he guessed it on one of my albums uh. singing um I get along without you very well, Hoagie Carmichael song, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on an album I did of Hoagie's music a number of years ago, mm -hmm. which also had uh, Shirley Horn on it, and uh, the great guitarist Jim Hall, the great saxophonist Frank West. Mm -hmm. um, I also played on one of Tony's albums, uh, the first duets album that he did. Oh. I was the only duet that was not with a singer. Uh. When he sang I Left My Heart in San Francisco, yeah, right. it was just piano and voice. Uh. Uh. Um but, um, yes, of course, it's absolutely wonderful working with Tony. Bennett. And how did the idea come up? Did it just... Uh... Well, he wanted to do something together, and uh, he's been um, a very supportive friend of my playing and my music for years. And he said um, he also loves um, my trio, which has been together for 20 years now almost, mm -hmm. which is Kenny Washington at the drums and Peter Washington at the bass. Not related. Not related, that's <laughs> right. Um, 
And then uh, also my wife, who is Rini Rosness, who's one of the world's great jazz pianists, has been the pianist of choice to Wayne Shorter and mm -hmm. Bobby mm -hmm. Hutcherson and sure. Joe Henderson, Ron Carter, J.J. Johnson. I saw her at NJ. James Moody, yes. She's a, she's a, a master. Mm -hmm. And uh, we play two pianos together sometimes. In fact, uh, I'll give us a plug. We're playing at the Jazz Standard for a mm. week starting on the 15th of December. Nice. But uh, Tony loves the two piano group also, ah. which he had heard. So he called me up. He said, I want to I make a record. Uh, let's make a record of Jerome Kern songs. I said, that makes perfect sense. That would be wonderful. I'd love to do that. He said, but what do you think we should do? Should we make it a duo record, just piano and voice, or should it be with your trio or with, uh, with Rini? I said, well, let's do all of them on the record because different songs will... Uh, kind of uh, speak best in different types of arrangements, mm -hmm. different aggregates mm -hmm. we can use. So we did that. So on this album, it's not just me and Tony, but right. it's me and Rini and Tony on, I think, four tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, the trio with Kenny Washington, Peter Washington, me and Tony. Mm -hmm. um, we want to play a few minutes of, of one of them? What one would oh, you want? Sure. We have it queued up. Well, why don't you play all the things you are? Okay. Time I should say something about it before you do, or did you start already? It's going. It's going. I mean, so leave it. Leave it, leave it. Can we hear? What did I long for? I never really knew. Am I, am I hearing it? Finding your love, I found my adventure. Touching your hand. My heart beats the faster All that I want in all of this world Is you You are the promised kiss of springtime That makes the lonely winter seem long You are the breathless hush of evening That trembles on the brink of a lovely song You are If you don't mind. The dearest things I know are what you are. Someday my happy arms will hold you and some. divine when all the things you are mine 
Great. Thank you. Now, is that one take? Yes. Really? With Tony at 89. 89. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it and it is. was played together, right? One oh, take. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tony doesn't know headphones. Uh, We're all in the studio together. That's it. Incredible. That's it, folks. Just to be... To, that That's power. how those guys are. You know, you're going to go in the studio with Jerry Mulligan or Phil Woods yeah. or Barbara Streisand or someone like that. Bam. That's mm -hmm. it. They're pros. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at 89, I mean, I know. it's really, it's just, well, sit there and listen to that. The he's intense, you know, breath. one of the things I remember, um, I was never a member of Tony's band, but I did do various dates with him here and there when he would call, um, when he just needed somebody to kind of come in. And we did one date in San Francisco, apropos Tony Bennett, and um, <laughs> it was a, an industrial where there were two large screens up, you know, like they have at the baseball game. The place, the thing was so big that you needed the screens. And it was wonderful for me because it was a little teleprompter, you know. Yeah. I could watch him and I could see his diction. I could see where he was going with things. Yeah. But one of the things that struck me, this is one of the first times I was playing with him, um, and I remember the song too, it was, uh, it was The Good Life, mm -hmm. one of his big hits. Mm -hmm. We're playing The Good Life. And I looked up and he sings... Please remember, I still want you. And in case you wonder why, it was that moment. But I still want you. And I looked up and I saw that his eyes were closed and it was very interior. Mm. It was just that that I realized, oh, he's not throwing a second away. Nothing that he does, he's not sinking into deeply. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be a cross current with all of the giants yeah. they never throw it away mm -hmm. um anytime you play with phil woods or that i played with phil woods mm -hmm. somebody like that mm -hmm. it was intense intense concentration and if there was nobody in the audience two people in the audience or three thousand people in the audience didn't, didn't make a difference mm -hmm. didn't make a difference from what came out of the saxophone same way for Benny Carter. Yeah. Same way for Clark Terry. Yeah. Same yeah. way for Barbara Streisand. Yeah. It's just that way. Yeah. You know, it's intense. Mm -hmm. And so there's something to learn from that. Never point. throw it away. Is that a personality trait? I mean, is that, or is that just real great self-discipline? Is that passion? Is it all that stuff? It's all of that stuff. And I think that it also shows what kind of artist that they are. And uh, it's, a, it's a lesson that... Um, when it's time to play, it becomes, um, it's a religious experience mm. in the sense that you devote everything that you are to that moment. And um, 
do treat it like it may be the last time. Mm-hmm. It might be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dave, you want to uh, move well, into another direction or anything now that you've came aboard? Speaking of one direction. I mean, we're having a great time. Yeah. No, I know this isn't quite music business. We're no, talking a little fine. bit no, more this about is, this. This is good because we've had a couple interviews like this where it's been very artistic. Yeah, we mm-hmm. had, we've, we've uh, talked to film. Uh, Angelo uh, Badalamonte, yes. uh, who he lives uh, nearby in Pompton Plains, I think, or Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park. Um, and... Uh, we had this woman, Janet Devlin, who's from mm. Ireland, on just a few weeks ago. Very good. Um, yeah, we just talked music. We didn't. Okay. But, but there is anything a business you're interest, to it. Anything you're yeah. interested in, I'll so tell you about. Let's talk about your career. So you've been a sideman on, you mentioned 150 albums. You've done 20 albums on your own. Mm. Um, could you talk about, for the people wondering, because one tweet, we have tweets, but one tweet uh, somebody sent um, was that you? You obviously have done well enough. You never need to work another day in your life. Um, why are you teaching? And I, and I, and we're smirking because. Um, can you talk about how it's different from being a sideman on an album to be to doing your own album um, in terms of either the, the royalty structure or, or if you if you just being a paid flat fee side man can you talk about how those different things work well they're all different depending mm-hmm. on uh, the records that you make and uh, as a jazz performer I guess most of my life um, or at least much of my life is reliant upon live performance in terms of if you're talking about the financial side of things mm-hmm. um, however my way of thinking as um, Teaching, being here, and wanting to grow with the students, learn from them, and pass it on to them, it's all part and parcel of the big picture for me. So, um, the uh, the commerce part of it actually is not a strong <laughs> motivator for me mm-hmm. and it never has been because it's just not for because of the genre or that's just for you uh, a little you up- know I've had a lot of offers to do things that some people might say oh you ought to do that but they weren't for me and um, I believe in a hit career not a hit record necessarily mm-hmm. something like that right uh, and and uh Finally, especially in jazz music and improvised music, American music and jazz particularly, and I don't mean to be um, uh, in anything that is deep. It's not just jazz, but anything that takes full commitment. Um, At the end of the day, anything you do that dilutes it, dilutes it. And you don't want to do that. (laughs) So... I, at least I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just, uh, it's uh, kind of against my grain. But um, I'm trying to answer your question honestly, too. You know, uh, I've I've had a lot of luck, too. I've had some luck. Of course, you make your luck. And the mm-hmm. best story about that is you be prepared and you uh, show up and... 
you learn to work with other people and you realize that personalities are not always going to be the same. In fact, they're never the same. You're lucky when the chemistry works out great. And it can work out great and still have issues. Nobody's going to think of things the same way. Actually, that's, the, that's partially the joy of it, of seeing how it can finally work and mm -hmm. getting some other perspectives. But um, this is my story on that. I was in Capitol Records with Barbara Streisand and Johnny Mandel. It was just me, Mandel, the great orchestrator mm -hmm. and composer. Uh, for those of you who are listening who may not know, mm -hmm. I'm sure that most of you do, but he wrote the theme for MASH, The Shadow of Your Smile, Emily, A Time for Love. He's an orchestrator uh, who is certainly um, on par with the greatest ever people like Nelson Riddle and um, Bill Finnegan and mm -hmm. uh, Billy May Giants like that. And um, a great songwriter. And, of course, Streisand is Streisand, of whom there is only one. Um, and here I was on this album, and she wanted to sing Here's to Life, which was an album that was a great breakthrough album for Shirley Horn, although Shirley Horn had been doing what Shirley Horn did already for 50 years. Mm -hmm. So the breakthrough was, uh, um, she was an overnight sensation after 50 years, in mm -hmm. a sense. It was, But it was a hugely uh, um, regarded album and very successful for her, and part of it was that Johnny Mandel arranged the album um, for orchestra, and... Often, uh, part of what he did, Shirley has a trio that she played with, which was Charles Abels at the bass. He's gone now. He played electric bass. And Steve Williams at the drums. And Abels at the bass uh, played technically almost without any technique at all. It was so simple what he did. But he was able to um, so organically play with Shirley her piano playing, her singing, Steve Williams also. There was this bend in the rhythm section. And what Johnny did is he had the rhythm section record all the tracks. Then he wrote all the arrangements around the already recorded tracks. This is not necessarily an unusual thing to happen in, a pop, in the pop world. But in the jazz world, because of the fact that you might get to a chord or a harmony and approach it maybe from below on a less than a strong beat or all the kinds of things that happen that smudge the colors which are desirable that we want to have happen, because Johnny is so brilliant and such a jazz man, he was able to hear that and write around it. So the thing all of a sudden has this morphing quality mm. where everything is so organic you don't know how it happened well that's how it happened except for one track which is here's to life mm. now when streisand hears something and she loves it she wants to do it exactly that way she hears it and says that's the way that's what i want to do i want to do this arrangement um and so here we were sitting in Capitol Records listening to Shirley Horn sing Here's to Life. That was the one track that wasn't based around her trio, but Shirley was just a stand-up singer with a regular arrangement, mm -hmm. a brilliant arrangement of a great song that wasn't by Johnny. Um, anyway, so here we are in Capitol, and we're listening to Here's to Life over the loudspeaker. I think Al Schmidt is the... Um, uh, recording engineer, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's an, another giant in the industry. 
And I, I was thinking, you know, pinch myself here. I'm, what a what a wonderful experience. I'm listening to one of my favorite albums with two of my heroes. I'm about to play, and we're going to play this, uh, this song, and we're just talking about how to approach it. They play it. It's magnificent. We all listen together. We have that collective moment. It just so happens to be a collective moment with Barbara Streisand mm-hmm. and Johnny Mandel. <laughs> and uh, I had another one of those once with Julie Andrews and Carol Burnett, which was pretty hip. <laughs> but... Um, that's another story. Anyway, um, so I said to Johnny, I said, wow, that really was something, what you just, what I just heard. And what an album that was, Johnny. It had the perfect singer, the perfect song, the perfect time in that singer's career, the perfect orchestrator, the perfect orchestra, the perfect studio. Everything just the right musicians everything seemed to be in perfect balance was just a perfect storm for that album and uh, you can see why it was so great and Johnny as he does he kind of sat back and he said hmm you're missing one element and I sat there I said what is that element what could that possibly be the singer the song right time in the artist's career, the right musicians, the right arrangement, right studio, right record company, everything's here. Mm. I said, okay, I'll bite. What is it? And he says, luck. <laughs> that was really good, actually. It wasn't a small thing that he said, mm. because that is the point of making it in your career, in a sense. You do everything. You work on every side of it. So it's burnished and you've put thought and care and love and perspiration into everything you do. But then you still need luck. Mm -hmm. But you won't have that luck if you haven't done those other things. You need those other things. So what can you do? You can work on your craft. And you can uh, have the best odds. And that's the best you can do. That's Mm -hmm. how you set up luck. Oh. Okay. All right. Um, can we read a few? May we read a few tweets to you? Read some tweets. All right. Uh, this should be very tweet. <laughs> um, read this one. Jess Frank is going to read to you. Okay. This is from Lee. Uh, she asks, is the jazz market as competitive as the mainstream market? And what was your number one contributing factor to reaching the top? Well, we all have different ideas of what the top is, um, and I think that um, top can mean being able to um, simply live a life without compromise and pay all your bills. That's already one area of top. But um, is it different? Of course it's different. You're dealing with hugely different types of sums, first of all different types of audiences, different ideas of what are good record sales. Uh, A jazz record that sells 20,000 records is amazing. Mm -hmm. A pop record that sells 20,000 records is a joke. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, I don't think they're the same at all in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, There was more in that question that I'm not, that I'm not quite addressing. Do you know how many, as I find it, do you know how many units uh, the current record has sold? No, I don't. That should tell you something. I don't know, but I should know. Uh And I would like to know, but I don't know right now. (laughs) 
I'll find out. The other part of the question was, what was your number one contributing factor to reaching the top? Uh, perseverance. Got to persevere. You know, there's going to be a lot of doors that say no, 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 no. It's the, uh, it's a corny adage, but it's true. Don't quit before the miracle. <laughs> it might happen tomorrow. Don't give up. Next question. This one's from Valerie. She wants to know, is social media less important when promoting a jazz album as opposed to other genres because of the different demographics? No, I think it's highly important. But remember, I'm 49 years old, so it's a little bit different for me. And I didn't, uh, I'm just on the cusp of the generation before uh, a computer was simply just a, a, a telephone. A cell phone, for that matter, didn't exist. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I was in high school, they invented something called the Walkman. And it was absolutely an amazingly uh, life-changing event to have a cassette that I could play with my own headphones walking down the street. Now, of course, this has all changed and is is quaint to talk about it like that. It sounds like talking about a cylinder today to my children. (laughs) It really is, and I understand that it is, but I am not... um, I have to admit that I am absolutely not... Um, a technologically savvy person. However, the answer is, of course, it's important. It's highly, vitally important. And luckily, I have had some people who have done some of those things for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, finally, um, uh, I am not um, quite natural enough with using it at this point. And I'm focused mostly on practicing and getting to the next gig (laughs) and luckily i have enough work on my plate that keeps me happy doing those things and and uh it's enough for me to do to do that but sure it's vitally important do you like have like facebook would you use facebook more than like twitter compared to how ariana grande for instance would use twitter facebook instagram and snapchat I am not going to sound very intelligent with this because the answer is I'm simply a little too uh, antiquated in my way of going about things to answer that. My Facebook page is actually not handled by me. And (laughs) for that matter, um, um, but it's somebody very close to me. So I'm. Uh, it's not a. It's not a company though, because some people no. have a, like a company. Who no, I no, I don't need to do that because yeah. uh, finally, um, uh, there are people that I can trust that do know how to do these things properly. So the answer is, I should probably do all of those things, but I don't, and uh, I probably ought to. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say stick to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't really need to be okay filled up more than they already are with like spam. Okay, but so. it's only been in the last couple of years that I've even gotten, you know, I was the last guy to get a cell phone and that I've gotten a website and that I've got uh, <laughs> a Facebook page and all those things. And for that matter, there's a Facebook page that you are sent to right away that is uh, not my Facebook page, unfortunately. And uh, maybe you guys can help me figure out how to go to the one that's the right one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would state, though, let's let's just take now you're. You're only two years older than me, so I didn't realize you were that young. Mm. So you're a... Uh, uh, Don't seem it, do I? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
What was that, Marconi? I'm not sure. <laughs> was that horrible? Was, whatever it was, it wasn't me. Was that, I was, you know, just trying to replicate your coughing the whole hour. <laughs> the, whole, the whole hour. I haven't coughed until I think he's I got an itch. In. Uh, did you tell everybody you broke your wrist, by the way? Esteban? Why? This is radio. Okay. Esteban has a broken wrist. And it's uh, that's what that sound I thought was your wrist cracking again. Oh, yeah, we hope not. We don't want that. <laughs> I know. So um so at at forty nine, you know, you're it's it's great that you're being honest. You're saying, you know, I don't use it as much as I should, but uh luckily which we bring back in luck, but also because of all the work you've put in for the last, you know, thirty five years, that um you don't need it as much as the guys in the jazz program. Well, I'm not, I'm not developing a following, yeah. or I'm not developing at this point. Because you're there. Yes. What would you perhaps. say to the to the, the the junior in you know somebody in William Patterson in, the, in our great amazing jazz? I'd still program. say the same thing, which is, um, you have to. Uh, it's really finally your musicianship. That's going to open the, all the doors for you. Now, it's not just that. It's showing up. It's not being a bum. Mm -hmm. It's not being uh, all those the simple things that your parents told you. Be on time for school. Be nice to people. Learn to listen. Be patient. Do your homework. All of that kind of stuff. But really, in my world, in the world of jazz, it's your playing, finally. If you're playing something that's great, that's what will attract people to you. Mm -hmm. So that will open the doors more than anything else. All the other things are very good, but you have to have something that people will want. And finally, I do think that it is a word of mouth. But this is word of mouth mm -hmm. today. It's not just mouth, but it's word of Twitter and it's right. word of Facebook. So do it. Absolutely. But never at the expense of of taking care of business if all the electricity went off. <laughs> Not, at least for a jazz musician. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. What was the next tweet? Oh, uh, well, there's two minutes left. So. Oh, we only, oh, it's already 8.58? Wow. So, uh, so well, no, no, we can't do the tweet because we have to bring up... Uh, did you, you talk about collage? Because I want to talk about collage A couple again. of words, but they made me start six minutes late. We did not make you do no such thing. You want to bet? Yeah, that's a double negative. I kept you running these thing. promos, and I was ready. <laughs> that's, that's so so like you that. should take the six at 9.06. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a show after We'll get kicked out of yeah, this yeah. studio. We should bring up that uh, right now we're, that we're December 2nd, December 4th. The biggest reason Bill is here, besides being an awesome dude, is uh, we have this collage event which is the best of the best, a musical snapshot, the best of the best of William Patterson University. Bill is going to be performing. You're doing We Wish You a Merry Christmas. What did I play today? I no. played, uh, actually, I played Have Yourself a Have Merry Yourself Little a Merry Christmas. Little Christmas. A little, little, bit, little Christmas. bit different. Little right. bit different. Um, yes. So Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. That's that one of the few uh, Christmas hymns that's not actually a hymn, but it's a popular song from mm -hmm. Meet Me in St. Louis, Martin and Blaine. Oh, that's right. <laughs> okay. And then that goes, what is this song then that goes into with uh, a version of Silent Night? Silent Correct. Night as arranged by the great pianist and composer Donald Brown. Uh, but also as orchestrated by the great pianist um, and arranger, um, oh, this is terrible, uh, Alan Farnham. Mm, okay. So, 
<clears throat> That's what okay. we'll be here. So you'll be playing that, and then we have yeah. a lot of other great. We have uh, our, boy, I was just there, and it sounds fantastic. I mean, the big band is amazing. The percussion ensemble is amazing. The wind ensemble is wonderful. The pop program sounds wonderful, and uh, one of the students in the pro in the jazz program, uh, Caleb Rumley, wonderful trombonist and arranger and orchestrator, arranged uh, the song "Rather Be" for large ensemble using all types of. Um, um, aggregates within uh, the orchestra. It's, it's tremendous. It's really, really wonderful what he did. He's a, he's a great, wonderfully talented person. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's December fourth, Friday, that's December fourth. Two days from now. Two days from this second. Are if, there still tickets at the door? There's still tickets available. I would go to the William Patterson University Chase Performing Center box office and get them in advance if possible. University Performing Arts. It's that a tr- is, truly exciting, yeah. worthwhile event. It's mm-hmm. unique and it exists only here at WPU. And we I'm might, not just making a commercial. I was we, just there and was quite impressed. We might explain that a collage is um, various ensembles, none of which play more than how many minutes? Uh, four minutes is the most, right. except for Ratherby, which is about eight, but that's right. a huge... So you're going to get a, a real magazine-type performance throughout the whole night, and the quality should be actually equal every four-minute segment. It's tremendous. It really is. But we need to wrap up. So, uh, Bill, I think what we should do is have Bill promise that he comes on within the next 365 and a quarter days. I promise. Okay. We didn't get to a lot of stuff. Right. Um, so we want to thank Bill Charlotte. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And next week? Next week we are going to have the manager, Alex Cadvin, on. Mm-hmm. He is the manager for St. Vincent. For Sleater oh. Kinney, for Sharon Joes and the Dap Kings, mm. and uh, made possible by our friend Aaron Van Dyne, mm-hmm. who is the uh, business manager for uh, two of those, uh, actually for all those groups, plus Kiss, Three Doors Down. So uh, and that's going to be, be Sands. It would be no Marconi that day right. because you'll be getting a brand new uh, bionic arm. That's Steve correct. Steve Marconi, astronaut. More time we can spent him. at airport <laughs> security. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Every time you get those pins and needles. Mm-hmm. Right. Needles and pins. There we go. All right, so we need to get out of here because the producers are upset. So we want to thank Bianca Russo for manning the board like a good woman. Just Frank for reading the treat. Mm-hmm. It's a treat to hear you read the tweets. We want. We need. We must thank Bill Charlap. We must. Yes. Do it. Thank, thank you, you Bill. Great. Thank you guys. Very good. Pleasure being here with you. Uh, we should thank Dr. Esteban Marconi for not. Well, talking. and also uh, Professor David Kirk Philp. For trying to hold in as many costs I as I did my best. To. Been very ill, but I'm improving rapidly. As It'll we, be better as Saturday, believe me. I know, it, it will be. <laughs> Saturday after Collage is over. So go to Collage Friday to uh, December 4th. Listen mm-hmm. to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. And until then, we say to you, Adios! Is there a 50-50 at Collage?